Hey guys, with Brad and I both being fathers, we want the best for our families. That is why recently we both signed up for term life insurance policies with Ladder Insurance. If there is one thing Brad and I don't want for our families when we leave this earth is a financial burden. We want to know that our spouse and children will be taken care of when we are gone. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. There are no hidden fees, you can cancel at any time, and you even get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So click the link in the show notes to get a quote in seconds. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Average Money Podcast. In this episode, a little q and I've been getting questions, some questions on Instagram, questions in live streams, questions in discords. If you are new to this podcast and it's your first one, welcome. We have now been podcasting for over one year. Can't believe what it's become. And uh, now we can kind of go back and listen to episodes a year ago, which is mind-blowing how much things have changed in our lives. My name is Brad Finn. I've been here since day one with my good buddy, JJ Buckner. JJ, how are we doing tonight, pal? We got some uh, We got some Q&A questions. Again, like Brad said, you know, we with me just coming back from New York, we did get a lot of episodes filmed. But what I want to do is I have some uh, Q&As from, or I got some questions rather, from my Instagram. We're going to need some help from the live stream chat. For those of you that are watching, we're going to pull some of your questions. We'll read them on the podcast and they'll be uh, out whenever the episode goes live. Uh, Franklin said, best markets going into 2020, marijuana, renewables, streaming, and subscription businesses. If I was choosing one of those, I'm going to go, I still, I don't want one of those. I still think it's going to be retail. I still think retail is going to blow up in 2022. As long as the president of our United States of America continues to give unemployment that's higher paying than the jobs they're working and sending us money and child cares and things like that and people have disposable incomes and don't care about paying off debt people are just going to keep on spending money. My answer is semiconductors, chips, Intel, AMD, NVIDIA. And the, uh, so my video is coming out tomorrow. Uh, Intel is one of the video, or one of the stocks I'm talking about. I did some research, a lot of research today and they are working on bringing foundries to stateside you know, United States to getting out of Taiwan and whatnot. And they have a contract with the U S department of defense on working on bringing that over. If they get that done, 2022, maybe 2023 could be a big year for the chip stocks. So then you love my put options, bro. I started the Intel put options. No, you didn't my ass, Brad. Who was the first? Let me ask you this. In the Fidelity account, who was the first one to make a cash cured put on Intel? Who? Name it. You did before I did? Brad, don't play dumb here, bud. In one of the other episodes in the live stream, I was like, you stole my Intel position. No, you said I stole your AMC. Nope. I made an I AMC said Intel. Put. No, you said AMC. Do we want to bring up the records real quick? You said Do AMC. we want to bring up the records real quick? Because I remember you texting me saying, oh, Intel, that was a good one, man. I was like, yeah, thanks, bud. Monday, like at, at, at 8.30 Eastern, boom, cash could put on Intel, and I was getting ready to do it. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to have 10K in Intel right now to you know be 35% of our account. 
That was AMC. No, it wasn't. It was Intel. 100%, 110% guaranteed that was Intel. Because AMC was another one that you stole from me as well. You won 110% everything. So that th- there's no credibility by the 110%. I pull, I'll pull it up right now. I will pull it up on the Fidelity account. Intel and AMC were both my moves first, and then you took them. And now I don't want to do them because I don't want to be... I don't want to be too over leveraged in Intel or AMC because I have two puts on them. You're right, but I started Intel, and I remember you tell me, you text me like, "Oh, that was a good move on Intel." Next Monday, Brad, boom, cash crew put on Intel. I was like, "What the hell, dude? <laughs> really? That was mine, bro. Don't play dumb. <laughs> no, it is. Don't play dumb. No, I admitted to taking your AMC. Don't play dumb. Really? Intel was the main one. AMC, I don't even care about because I want to own Intel for the long term. I thought I got put on to Intel from everything money. Oh, Brad's getting put on it. He's getting put on one right now. <laughs> like, like when we no, argue, take- we argue. But this one, I am 150%. I'm 1,000% for sure. I would bet any dollar that you knew. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I have no recollection of that. You're lying. You are straight lying. You know I'd be drinking in the evenings. Well, like, fire. Hold on, hold on. Liar. No, like uh, no, I. I'm not Liar. saying. I'm not saying that you didn't do it first. All I'm saying is that I don't remember that. So I'm going. I have it open. I'm going to look. I'm going to look right now. Am I wasting my time looking it up right now? Yes, you are. Oh goodness, Intel was my go-to. When did you do it? Uh, I think my first one was the beginning of August. Maybe the last week of July. Stand by. And then that following week was when you made your first position. Hold on. I'm going to feel like a dick, aren't I? Oh, trust me, dude. I remember you texting me and being like, oh, Intel was good. I'll go back and look at my text. I had an August 6th. Uh, so on August 2nd, I wrote a cash crew put. I'm looking at my Discord right now. So a month ago, exactly, I did Intel. Your first move was probably like, I bet, August 10th, maybe later. Oh, you did. August 2nd. Or was that mine? Don't act like you don't know. August 2nd. It's in my Discord. I said I wrote a cash could put on Intel. Let me tell you this. Don't even tell me the strike price. I'll tell you right now. Hang on. I had to close it. I'll tell you the strike price. It's mine. No, you're right, because I see the two more after it. My bad. <laughs> F- 53 strike price. $29.31 premium. What? Did that expire worthless? Yeah. Because uh, I wrote mine on 8.6. Yeah, because you saw mine. In the, you Dude, you look at the account every day. And you know you didn't make it. 8.6 and 8.9, I sold mine. Oh, I, dude, I had no idea. Dude, we've talked about this already. We've oh, talked man. about Intel already. I'm Anyways, shot, dude. I'm shot, let's, man. Let's, I'm move, shot, on, I'm let's move on to another uh, question. Because this is a good one. This is one of my favorite ones out on tonight's episode. Would you rather get $50,000 a year in rental cash flow or $40,000 a year in dividends? Why? Wait, say that again, please. Would you rather get $50,000 a year in rental cash flow or $40,000 a year in dividends? Why? $40,000 in dividends, less work. Same. Same. Yeah. What would the threshold have to be? What would the difference have to be? When would the dividend income not be worth it and you'd take the 50K real estate? See, 
probably 70 no 65 no, no. 70,000 no no he said didn't he say 50 real estate versus dividends 50,000 in real estate per year versus 40,000 in dividends all per right year. so how low would the dividends have to go before oh, okay. you opted for the 50 30 35 I mean it's pretty close because here's my thing Making fifty k a year, if I can set it up pretty passively, like I have my investments right now, like it's really not too much of a difference. I will say there's a little bit more stress that comes with that, but an extra ten thousand dollars a year—that's a lot of money. Yeah. So I'd go down maybe five. I'll go down ten more thousand. If I got down to third, no, no, I take that back. If I got down to thirty-five k, I would rather have the fifty k in real estate, hands down. And we're not assuming like, oh, well, you get your appreciation, you get your, you know, your debt payoff. We're just talking about strictly right. 50K a year in real estate versus 40K in dividends. If I went down to 35K, I'd probably go to 50K in real estate and just deal with whatever came up with it. Now I was going to say half, like 25. Oh, really? Also, too, like the tax guy and the tax efficiency guy in me, like I can make $50,000, like, it's if it was straight yeah. twenty five and fifty, like you can make fifty k go a lot longer in real estate than you can dividends. Yeah, and like fifth, that dividend's gonna have a fixed amount of taxes. Like I can have write offs and depreciation, and pretty much get that entire fifty tax free if I really needed it to. So then it really becomes a difference between fifteen and fifty. Yep. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. What industry? is the most interesting to you when it comes to investing? I don't really have an answer for that. I think that there's Can I certain- guess what yours would be? Or can I say what I think yours would be? Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's probably just going to be like, yeah, I can agree with that. I have, I have companies I'm interested in, but not necessarily... All right, go ahead. What do you think I'm going to say? Uh, canvas. Like as far as like emerging? Yeah. I'm very curious and i actually got a comment today i i mentioned all the time on the podcast and even in my discord people think i'm lying that i get an ultra hate comment every single day and that video is like two years old yeah people are still watching it thank you so much for the adsense but somebody like reiterated something today and it's a comment that's been posted many many times in that ultra group and it's i've even stated on this podcast why i'm not for sundial and or uh, canopy growth and things like that. What they say in the ultra group is if, if we're sitting here thinking that major tobacco companies don't have everything set up in the pipeline for the instant that it becomes federally legal, then we're being suckers. And the answer to that question is absolutely. But the thing that like, cause everyone's like, okay, ultra, whatever, they're going to become the biggest cannabis player ever. I'm like, okay, I agree. Like the instant it becomes federally legal, all of those smaller companies are going to be washed out. Washed out. I know you don't agree with me on that, JJ, but like yeah. I still think they are. But I agree with you to an extent. And we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. But but it is not going to become federally legal for a very, very, very long time. There is no need to make it federally legal, it's not worth their time to make it federally legal when we could just have it state-run, have the taxes be state-operated. Does the federal government want its cut? I got news for you. 
The amount of income and taxes that the cannabis industry will bring to the federal government, I'm not saying it's not changing state governments, how much it would bring to the federal government means nothing to them. So I'm definitely interested to see if it becomes federally legal, but you have to think this. It has to be legal in every state before they'll federally legalize it. There's no way that the government is going to force legalization onto a state that doesn't want it. That's a good point. So we still need to work. How many states are legal now? 12? 10? Yeah, 12, 13, something like that. Okay. So we still need to get 40 states on board, some of which are very, very against it. Yeah. Right? And I don't even know if you'd call marijuana a red or a blue. I I think it would be more of a conservative... I mean, a more of a, a democratic standpoint, but either one, either if it's one or if it's one way or the other. Go ahead. Let me ask you this, though, not to get too political, but are you for legalizing cannabis? And if you don't want to answer, don't have to. I'll answer mine. I don't. Yeah, I, it's one half. I don't care. Like it's one half dozen the other to me. And I think we've seen in a majority of the states, and it's been legal in New York since like April. Like mm-hmm. I think March or April. Well, I'll tell you my answer. Because you, I mean, you said one half dozen doesn't matter. I think weed should be legalized before alcohol. I mean, that's a different that's a different thing. Like, do I feel that there's more dangers with alcohol? Yeah. If I had to choose one or the other, like which one is worse? I think that alcohol is worse. Oh, for sure. But if prohibition didn't work in the twenties, it's not going to work now. But that's one of those things where we can't. I don't think yeah. we'll ever be able to overturn that. Yeah. But well, ever ever looked at the history of why marijuana was. Uh, be- became illegal. Yes, it was a money game, right? Just everything was, is. Yeah, dude, it's insane, dude. Like, if you look at the uh, so hemp, the plant has so many uses. Yeah, it makes stronger, better paper. It's a faster growing plant. You know, when you knock down a forest, it takes decades to come back. When you can knock down marijuana plants, it takes what a year to maybe grow that back, maybe maybe sooner. Yeah. So people were starting to realize this. Oh wow, the lumber. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna get taken over by hemp. And then you know, they're gonna make hemp paper, hemp products, hemp lotion, everything. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything I've learned about politics, like they don't want friction. Like they don't want to have to do things that are going to make their lives more annoying. And like one, the comment you hear every time a state legalizes is like, what about all the people that are locked up in that state for that? They should be released. They still broke the law. It doesn't matter what that law was or what that law is now. But regardless, if it became a federal thing, now we have those court cases and, and releases going up to the Supreme Court. They don't have time for that. As long as it's not federally legal, they don't have to entertain all of that, any of that. Like, oh, cool, your state wants to legalize it. He's still a criminal under our eyes. He's staying in jail. She's staying in jail. But if it becomes fr- now we have to release all those people or at least go through all those. Co- I don't know. I just can't see the whole like, I'm not interested in the industry. I don't think it's a 2022 issue. So do you, you don't have an answer then? To... To what wh- industry is most interesting when it comes to investing? I, I'm 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 still f- for tech, tech. Okay, in, no, that's good. That's a good answer. Like I'm curious to see what I'm really curious to see what Amazon can do as a company, yeah. regardless of its of like or Tesla. 
Yeah. What did I say? No, you said Amazon. I'm just saying or Tesla because of all the different routes they have going for them right now. Yeah, and I meant I meant to say Tesla, but yeah, even though they're like severely overvalued. So my most interesting industry in, you know, when it comes to investing right now is space. Now, I don't invest in anything space-related right now. I think it's a little too early for me to do that because the whole big thing right now when it comes to space is space exploration. Yes. With what we're seeing with like uh, Jeff Bezos and you know Virgin Galactic, like they're focusing on kind of like a touristy aspect. I'm more thinking of, and I may not see this in my lifetime, and may not have the opportunity to invest into it. I'll tell you. But I'm more thinking of like manufacturing in space, like where the space station's at right now, like hovering or orbiting around Earth. I think in maybe 100 years, 150 years, we're going to see manufacturing plants up in space. I think we'll see the Amazon warehouses up in space, and then wherever you're at in orbit, boom, you shoot the product down to Africa, boom, you shoot the product down to Germany, boom, you shot the product down to wherever because it takes a day to orbit. I I think that's going to... I think that, again, I don't think I'll see this. If I do, that's going to be amazing, and I want to invest in it. And there are companies working on it right now, but it's so far away. The technology is so far away. Do you think there's a, there's a living person on Earth right now that's going to walk on Mars? Yes. Yeah. The first person to walk on Mars is alive right now. I agree. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's crazy, man. Yeah. I love space. Well, we were talking about this whenever I was in last time, yeah. or two night, two times ago. We, we both kind of nerd out over space. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm super into tech and I'm super into like thinking about how Tesla can expand its business. I don't care about its valuation and share price. I'm more like curious about its company and mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to that next thing that yeah. that like we're telling our kids. I, I think a major thing that I tell people all the time that they think I'm crazy. I don't think our kids are going to have driver's licenses. I think by the time our kids get to 16, obviously there's still going to be cars on the road, but I think they're going to be like old vintage cars that like, that if you know how to drive it, good for you. Kind of like a stick shift now. Like if you know how to drive a stick shift, I'll let you drive it. You know, simple as that. Where I really think it's not far-fetched for me to think that when I put Avery, I'm going to be able to put Avery in an automated car and send her to a friend's house and have her get picked up and no one's going to be driving that car. That's realistic shit for me, like 100%. I'm saying- I would ne- maybe guess my grandkids. Nope, 10 years, man. I don't think so. 10 years, you are going to see somebody in the driver's seat and be like, what? We are going to tell our kids, do you remember when we used to drive- our side by side. Like mm-hmm. you were going to be able to go on a road trip to Florida and sit in the back and have a couple cocktails. Like you're in a bar, awesome. like you're in a bar <laughs> cart. In a tra- like these are conversations I have. Like I say to my daughter, well, I don't say to my daughter, but I say to my buddies, like our kids are going to say to us, wait, when you used to go on long road trips, somebody had to drive mm-hmm. or they're going to be like, you guys didn't party and get drunk on car rides. Like how did you guys, how did you guys go on six hour car rides and not have a couple drinks? I think 10 years is too soon. Nope. Nope. I think my grandkids will see that. I don't know if I, – I know I know Mason and Millie will have like – I don't see it happening. I really don't. 
dude, in 10 years, I'm going to be able to get into a car, type in your address at 9 p.m., wake up in the morning and be three quarters of the way there. So I don't disagree with you on that, but I don't think that it's going to be so regular that every driver is doing it. I think that's another generation down. I think that's going to be like a specialty kind of higher end luxury thing to be able to do. I still think our technology is too far off to be able to do that within 10 years. When the iPod came out and you said to somebody, this thing will be obsolete in 10 years. Do you think anybody would believe that? What do you mean? The iPod. So obsolete, you don't even know what it is. Oh, you mean like it's past its day? Like technology has advanced so much that like, yeah, like a VCR. No, I don't. I I think people were dumbfounded by how crazy the iPod was, how you could have 10,000 songs in your pocket. And if you told them it was going to be gone in 10 years. Yeah. You'd be like, no, this is going to be around forever. But think about this, though. Think about the the obscurity of taking an iPod with making the memory larger and how when you when you really think about it, the technology for that's not too much impressive to when you think about the complexity of driving stoplights, pedestrians, hooking up a trailer, making wide enough you make them wide enough turns when you're pulling a trailer to so you don't scrape the edge of the curb. Like there's so much more complexity that goes into that that that's I think between like comparing the iPod to an iPhone eleven, I think it's a little different than comparing a Tesla right now to an automated driving itself car. That is a lot more complex technology than the iPod. We're going to find out. We will. I hope to be alive in 10 years. So do I, man. We're still both young. So let's do this. Can you have too much money in a savings account? Is there a better place to keep it that might make you passive income but can also be taken out whenever you need or want it. You want me to take this one or you first? Go ahead. Yeah, I think it is good that I answered this because I know Josh's, Josh's situation. So Josh has a good chunk of money in savings because he's renting right now, newly married, and him and his wife are wanting to buy it, purchase out their first home. And I'm going to guess they'll probably be in their first home within the next two years. That's my guess. So to answer Josh's question based on because I know his situation, I'm going to tell him, see, this is tough because when it comes to like your mortgage, you're like, oh, well, how much do you just save up to where you need like 20, 25% and then stop? And knowing Josh, his situation, where he's at, his wife's job, his job, I'm probably going to say this, figure out how much you want to spend in a home. Let's say it's 300,000. And then figure out what 300000 is for 20% down. So that way you're not paying PMI. So $300,000 is $60,000. 60000 yeah. So I would be keeping a $65,000 minimum balance in my savings account. Because you got to account for closing cost. $65,000 is what I'd keep in my savings account. Every single penny that I get in my savings account or checking account that's over the 65000 I'm investing. And what I'm investing in is either going to be real estate, index funds, or stocks. I have to agree. Like we've talked about investing money yep. for down payments on even houses. And I said, if you could plan on buying a house within five years, keep it liquid in cash. Yep. You have a, now let's say 
we don't know if he's trying to buy a house and we're just saying like the regular mm. little person. Three to six months of expenses. Yeah, like we talked about that uh, in an episode. Maybe I don't even know if it came out yet, but uh, just figuring out when it rains, it pours. Like what's what's the worst day that you can see financially? That's all I keep in the bank. I invest everything else. Uh, speaking of real estate, can you get out of PMI through a refi? Our house appraises above 40% of what we paid for it two years ago. We are currently paying off all debt uh, and losing and losing the PMI would be fantastic. I hate PMI. From my experience, it depends on your mortgage. In a lot of cases, well, in some cases, once you achieve 20% or 25% equity in the house, it goes away automatically. A rarity these days because banks know that if they do it the other way, then you're fine, good to go. Um, but yeah, refi gets rid of it. Mm-hmm. Or refi will get rid of it, but... As we mentioned in our um, episode that we did in person with uh, my refi, like you have to make sure that you're going to recoup those closing costs on top of it. So in my old house, I had PMI, but I did not refi to get rid of it because I knew that I wasn't going to be in that house for five years. So I wasn't going to recoup the closing costs. So I kind of had to suck up the PMI. So it, it really all depends on how long you plan on staying there. If it's your forever home, I say refi just to get rid of the PMI. I would agree with that. But if you know you're going to be leaving in a year or two, you'd have to figure out what the cost difference is going to be, but it may not be worth refining if the cost savings isn't there. Yeah. Uh, What company would or do you invest in every week, no matter what? Mine's Turning Point Brands, Pepsi, and St. Joe. The only regular investments I make- Pepsi and what? uh, St. Joe. St. Joe? I don't know what that is. Oh, they're saying St. Joe. I thought that's what you were saying. No, no, he's saying his are Turning Point, Pepsi, and St. Joe. Yeah, I don't know what St. Joe is either. Mine, the only thing I invest in weekly, no matter what, is VTI. I don't invest every week. I don't invest weekly in anything. So, like, my dollar cost averaging is only in VTI. Weekly is pretty much my options maintenance, like my poor man's covered call and things like that. That's really all I do weekly. Yeah, I'd probably say more of my weekly stuff is options as well. Um, because like right now with me doing a rental property, I haven't invested anything in two to three weeks, maybe three to four weeks. Yeah. I haven't bought anything. It's because all my money's going to my down payment on my rental property right now. Yeah, buddy. And I've actually had to pull out $11,000 from Fidelity. So yeah. if I hang on, if I had yeah. to answer that. Yeah. Oh, it's just tough. What's your favorite stock right now? Right now it's Google, but it's just, it keeps going higher. <laughs> Every time I look at it, it's higher. I'm like, gosh, dang it. I bought one share at 1500 last year, and I should have bought 20 of them. Correct. <laughs> so Brian had a good question. I love him. Let's go. Do you think the stock market will have a correction or a crash within the next year? I hate those questions. They're tough because... No, uh, because we can't tell the future. I don't think so. Like I mentioned before, while our great president of the United States of America, depending on what your opinion is, while he continues to not give anybody the initiative to go back to work until he keeps giving people unemployment not to work, until he keeps giving people stimulus and refunds and credits and just keeps pumping money to the there's no reason for it to correct. What can happen? We're virtually on the verge of a world war 
yet the stock market still flies high. We had one of the most controversial elections in United States history. The market continues to fly. We're mm-hmm. in a global pandemic. The market continues to fly. I just go my like statistical analysis and like more things point to why the hell would it slow down? Two points here. Okay. Do you agree with me or disagree? I agree with you. I do. I agree with you. But two points for here uh, for this is the first one being God forbid, God forbid, a major terrorist attack on American soil, I think would crash the stock market just like it did in 9 11. Would it have a would it have a quick rebound? Probably. What was the big hit in 9 11? It wasn't that bad. I mean, it was. Let's, it was exacerbated let's, by 2008. Let's look back. Let's go back to. Like, if you look, don't look at the SP chart from 2011 and beyond. Look at it from like 2012 and back. It was it was a decent drop. It was. <clears throat> Terrorist attack on American soil would definitely, I think, have maybe not a crash. It'd be a quick correction, I think. Second point would be I don't think we're going to see a crash per se. And I've been saying this on YouTube for like a year. I personally don't think we're going to see a crash happen in the next year, in the next two, in the next five years. I think what we're going to see is a 2000 to 2004. Or, yeah. Yeah. You think it's going to be sector-based? I No. I think it's going to just be a gradual downtrend for three to four years of a bearish market. Because what we're seeing right now is all this money being pumped. Boom. 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 Money in. Money in. Stock going up. Stock going up. Money in. Money in. Stock going up. But at some point, this money coming in has to stop. And what happens when the money coming in stops? The demand goes down, so the supply goes up. So then we're going to start seeing a little Boom, boom, boom. It'll be really gradual. Maybe the first year, half the people won't even notice it. But then the next year, they're like, well, what the heck? My investments are, you know what? Third year, people's 401ks. Well, what the hell? Two years ago, my 401k, now we're down 20%, 10%. Third year, boom, what's that? another 5% I'm down this year? I think we're going to see a gradual bearish market. I don't think we'll see a major crash. I think the next three to five years, maybe not next to three to five years, but somewhere down the road when this money stops pumping in and the market kind of has time to recollect everything, I think we're going to see a long bearish market and that's going to be tough, but that's also where good stock picking is going to come in. Dude, I don't think that the market knows the effects of the internet yet. I would agree with that. Especially if they continue to underestimate the intelligence of people that don't have a finance degree. I don't I wonder why nobody's really mentioned like ever and I think about this sometimes. I don't want to make the video cuz I don't want to be an idiot. But like who's to say a part of this like raring bull market isn't the increased intelligence of investors? If you think of how much volume has gone up and how many more people are buying, there was a time when all the buying and selling was just going on in such a small circle and like news spread fast and it was easier to pump and dump and it was easier to hear bad news and get crashes. 
now that in like kind of like how we just did, you know, somebody mentioned something about uh, Tattoo Chef. We're like, what happened? Wall Street Bets, a guy comes on, Jeremy posted something, got 600 likes, not that big of a deal. Boom, it's over. You know, the, and I don't think the markets know that. I think the markets go up because people are more intelligent. And I think the way that people evaluate companies, it, that needs to evolve. The one bad thing about the value investors I see is like, they're so old doctor, old tools. I don't think that value investors give the internet and the people on the internet enough credit sometimes. Now, are there YOLO memers and weirdos and whatever? Yeah, but how many more people are just like you and I that are just investing and buying and holding? So it becomes, it becomes harder to get in and buy stocks at a value because nobody's selling. So with that, you know, supply and demand, if companies want to continue their value pass, right, where they're not giving out shares and diluting the company, while they're still trying to grow their dividends, while they're still doing all these other things, it's going to be hard for them to do that and then not and have people not sell off and kind of keep everything balanced. Like, do you think there's any validity to that? Like where maybe it's our intelligence and I don't think our intelligence can... I don't think we know the ripple effect. I think people joke about this Wall Street bets and, and what they did in February, which I can't believe has almost been a year now. But like, oh, wow. the, that is just, I think that was just like the tip of the iceberg. How many groups do you think were like, wow, Wall Street bets got too big? It's too big. Like, we're ne- we don't ever want to be that public. We never want to be that big. Look at Discord. My 16-year-old, like I said, student, 40,000 people in his Discord, day trading. And do you? Do I think he's the biggest, do I think he's even remotely a big trading Discord chat? No. Sure don't. Yeah. So, so I don't see, I just, I need a reason other than like, when you go to the casino now at the roulette table, they give you like the last 25 balls. And like, that's like saying it's been black 20 times in a row. So it's got to be red now. Yeah. Everyone's talking about this correction and this dip being like, well, it has to come soon. Every decade, it has to come. It has to come. But like, they're not giving any reason for why I well, mean, they, they do. They do say like overvalued this, that, and the other thing. But I think we need to redefine what overvalued really means. No. So if you look at the Schiller P.E. ratio, I'm trying to pull this up here. Uh, this is kind of based on how overvalued markets were in the history of the S&P 500. Hold on. Bro. I just want to say this real quick. Go ahead. Brian K. said, FYI, the first day of trading after 9-11 lost 7.1%, a day record at that time. Mm-hmm. The Dow lost 14% by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Right, Which 14%. was a big drop by then. 14% is big, yep. So here's the Schiller P.E. ratio. Black Tuesday, Great Depression. It was at a 30. Black Monday, so 2099 when everybody was getting rich on dot-com, the dot-com bubble. What was it then? That was a 45. And then what, this is the right before it crashed? Yep. Currently, okay. it's at 39. And this is, it looks like it's a little old. So I bet we're at like a, I bet we're like 42, 43. Yeah, but oh, no, like, this is this is current. I'm sorry. It says as of four o'clock Wednesday, September first. But what I'm saying is there's no correlation between that's just you're picking a random statistic and 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 putting it into a narrative. Well, there's other statistics to look at than just the Schiller B E ratio. Right, but what I'm saying is like it 
the crash didn't happen just because the PE hit a certain number. There was other factors. Well, no, that that's not what you're looking at, though. I mean, you're looking at how, I mean, the, the chart we were just looking at, you can see, I mean, and you should know this, look, you know, being physics engineer guy, like that is a true outlier of those two, three different spots. A true yeah. outlier. Something is going, something has to happen. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not calling a crash. I don't know if it's an outlier unless you tell me what the average P has been over that same time period. Might have to do a quick little. Like, what does the line look like? Do a is, trend it like line. Straight, is it like straight, 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 boom? And straight, 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 boom? Yeah. What were the straight, straight, straights at? Probably. Roughly. Because then it becomes, then it becomes really interesting. Uh, you're looking at around 15 to 20. Okay. So 19 points higher than the average. Yeah. Wowie. Yeah. Again, though, dude, like you said, though, this could keep going on for another two or three years, three or four years. I remember people back, I remember like asking people about stocks in 2011, like being the dumb college kid, like, oh, you know what? Like asking older people about stocks. And I remember, I literally remember multiple people telling me, oh, I'd stay away from stocks. It's, it's look, stuff's looking way overvalued right now. You know, because it's coming out of 08 and 09 compared to that in the market at 2011. Could you imagine being a person in 2011 saying the market's too overvalued and looking at the next 10 years and seeing what happens? Brian said, when interest rates go up, they'll go down. Yes. But when is that going to happen? That's a good, that's a, that, so that's very true. When interest rates do go up, I agree. The stock market's going to go down, but when are the, when are rates going to go up? That's historical. That's a historical trend as well. But yeah, when, when is it going to, when is it going to go? So here's the thing. Uh, if we go back, I believe it was 2018 Christmas Eve, the Fed announced that they're raising rates. I wouldn't say the market crashed, but the market had a huge dip. I remember leaving work. Christmas Eve, I had a half day. And I remember CNBC listening to it on my computer. Everybody's freaking out. Because oh, I was investing big time back in 2018. I think it was 2018. I have to go back and look. Maybe 2019. But the Fed came out and said they were raising rates. The stock market freaked out. Freaked out, man. I remember seeing my Robinhood portfolio diving. And me, I got excited. I actually did a lot of buying Christmas Eve of 2018 or 19 or whatever it was. But it was all around the Fed coming out and announcing they're raising rates. Now, when is that going to happen? I don't know. I personally believe it should have happened already, just given the state of our economy and how everything looks. I'm not the most, I'm not the best macroeconomics guy, but given what I know, I do think rates probably should have been raised earlier than now do you know what the interest rates were when your parents peed on their houses as a kid 12 percent, maybe yeah 12 13 percent yeah. yeah what is the stock and we're not doing index funds or etfs mm. what is the stock you will always have in your portfolio and think everyone should didn't somebody kind of ask that that's the same question from before what'd you answer I said you, that you I, said VTI. I said no VT, no index funds or ETFs. I want to know your answer. I said Google. No, so yeah, was, somebody asked that. Like, what was one quite, what was one stock that you buy every single weekend, no matter what? Well, okay, yeah, that's a little. I guess that's a little different. But what's your? You never said your one stock though. Yours is VTI. So you're saying I can't buy an ETF? Nope. 
What's your one stock you're buying? And I'm only allowed to buy one stock. You, it's just the one stock you'll always have in your portfolio and think everyone should. But again, the think everyone should part, that's just a question on Instagram. I'm a little eh about that. This is for me personally. Mine's Google. PayPal is a close second. And no, none of those are dividend stocks. I guess we're asking ourselves, like, which country, which uh, company right now do we think can last the longest? Ah, I'm going to go Burke A. You just said you wouldn't own them. Burke A? Yeah. I just did a clip. I almost I almost clipped Burks, Berkshire Hathaway out and did a clip on it. And you're like, eh, I'm not feeling it. And me and Aaron Azevedo in the chat, we're vibing. Boys over no, here. I said that it's a lot of money to put in one. But you said I can only buy one. So it's like I'm not trying to diversify out. No. <sighs> I was trying to pick a stock that's like most like an ETF, like Johnson & Johnson. But I... I I'm not saying Apple. I Google, I, I'm going back and forth. Do I think Google's going to last longer than Facebook? I'm going to go Disney. I like it. I'm going to go Disney. I don't I think like Disney's that. going anywhere ever. Yeah. I think, I think, if, the mouse. I, think if, I think if you had to list all the companies, I mean, I'm sure there's a little, I don't even know. I probably couldn't name. Do you think they'll bring the dividend back? Yes. Well, they could make uh, Disney Plus. $50 a month and I'd pay for it. I wouldn't. I fucking love Disney Plus. Here's another one. You ready? Are you ever going to own Burke? Uh, I'd have to be pretty wealthy to own one share of that. Because like you said, with like diversification and stuff, having 400 and something thousand dollars in that, like I'd have to be pretty wealthy. It's not high on my priority list. I'd rather have that put in the real estate. Do you that's gonna earn me cash flow because Berkshire Hathaway doesn't pay a dividend. Do you have confidence in that company after one or both of them die? Yeah. You do? I don't think it's gonna be the same, but yeah. You think they've taught enough of their genius? I think so. I would hope so. I would hope so. So you're saying that like a lot of what they do none of it's really on gut instinct anymore. I would say a lot of what they do now has a lot more to revolve around a team than just Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. You think they just stamped the final approval? Mm, no, I think they're still in the trenches, but I think a lot of what happens now is a team-oriented. That it has to be. You don't think you don't think that Buffett is like the president where every day he gets like a portfolio or like a little folder of all of the things for the day that he needs to approve or disapprove or look into. You uh, think he's like actively like seeking out stocks or yeah. I, I feel like I he, think get, he is dude. I feel like he gets to work, walks in and then he has three, four people that are initially making contact with him, letting him know what's going on for the day. Any big news, anything he needs to know about. And then I guarantee like, at like 10 in the morning, he has a team meeting every single day with like 20 people and they all make the decisions. I don't know. I would guess that knowing him and knowing how he is with stocks, it's like his passion. Like the dude gets off to reading 10 Qs and 10 Ks. Derek asked if we're both Pepsi over Coke. Yes. Ramsey's seven baby steps or invest in real estate with goal of fire. What's goal of fire? Oh, with the goal of fire? Mm -hmm. what do you, what's the starting point? Uh, there is no starting point. Just answer the question. Well, the answer depends on what this person... Answer it however you want. 
if this person's starting with 180k in debt, Dave Ramsey baby steps. Okay, that's a good way to answer it. So keep going. If the person is doesn't have consumer debt and they've been saving their whole life, and or maybe they've been saving through college, they get out of college, they virtually have no debt, they're not married, blah blah blah, invest in real estate. <laughs> so can I read what I said to this question? Yeah, is it similar? Yeah, another great question. Honestly. If you are just getting started out on a financial journey and have zero understanding of how money works or investing works, of how money or investing works, I would say start on Dave ba- Dave's baby steps while trying to learn as much as you can about bettering yourself financially. Then focus on real estate and other avenues once you have that high interest consumer debt paid off. Right. <laughs> Spot on. Yeah. I think any beginner out there, Dave Ramsey is the best way to start. I'm not against Dave Ramsey. Neither am I. I actually have a video coming out, possibly Friday, about the baby steps on my channel. Oh, do you want a two for that? Cross remote? What do you mean? Like, I can probably put together a Dave Ramsey video, put them out around the same time. I'll put mine out like Monday or Tuesday. Go ahead. Mine's already filmed. It's, it's honestly from like a year ago. I filmed it on the four bucks channel, but they got they didn't get any love, so I'm posting it on my main channel. I'm not. I mean, I'm against some of the things he says and the way he treats people, but yeah, it's a little little off. Whenever he says, "My plan works," you can criticize it however you want. You can pick it apart. You can talk about its efficiencies. You can talk about how whatever. At the end of the day, if you follow Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps. You are going to win with money. I can't call him a liar. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also 100%. can't. I can't disagree with his chat, uh, his track record, how many people he's helped, how many people he's gotten out of debt. Is he the most efficient and the fastest way to get wealthy and things like that? No, in my opinion, no. But if someone like said to me, Brad, if I follow Dave Ramsey's baby steps from Right now, $180,000 in debt at 35 years old until the day I retire, am I going to end up in the end point with a lot of money? My answer is going to be yes. Yep. My, it has to be. Yep. It I has agree. to be. I, I, I hate to give them that much credit, but it's true. Yep. I mean, there is nobody that literally has helped more people with money than that dude. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Nobody. There's, there's nobody. He's... Honestly, the whole reason I got started with my like financial journey is because of Dave Ramsey. Yeah. The people that want to hate on him are just people that don't acknowledge the fact that personal finance is for personal. Mm-hmm. And it's and instead of hating on him, why can't you just come out and say my strategy's a little different? Yeah. And then when he says my strategy's better, until you have a better track record over decades that he has, yep. you really can't argue with the dude. So I was just about to say, you know, like as I grew my knowledge in the financial space, my objectives, my thought process, my goals with finances finances, right, changed a little bit. And that's okay because personal finance is personal to you. I think anyone starting out on a financial journey needs to start out with Dave Ramsey. And then as you grow and learn, you can take on more practical practices and maybe a little less conservative than Dave Ramsey's route because Dave Ramsey would shun me for buying your rental property with leverage. But if you know what you're doing 
financially, you should be able yeah. to buy a rental property on leverage. I mean, the, I mean, he also lives in a compound, you know, and it's like, if anything, the best part about starting out with Dave for me was, and this is kind of what he gets criticized too about the way he speaks to people and how he, but like for somebody like me that I respond well when I am not belittled or bullied, but when I'm given the hard truth, I respond well to his teachings of being like, no, you're being an idiot with money. Admit it to yourself and move on. Like I respond well to that. So like if you respond well to that kind of thing, then I'm, I'm for that, you know, six years debt free because of Dave Ramsey. Hell yeah, man. Boom. I'm coming up on two years debt free. I got a big, I got a couple big milestones coming up four years on YouTube. Wow. Two months debt free. Is that a video? Sure. I, I should put up my net worth over the last two years on personal capital and just be like, oh, mine, <laughs> mine has jumped tremendously. Over I just years. hate, I hate, I don't want to talk about net worth anymore. I don't ever talk about it really. Um, I'll, I will say when I make a, I will definitely probably make a video when I become a millionaire because I have to, um, I'll say but this you though. know, you, you know, my complex of yeah. like feeling like a fake millionaire. So that's yeah. why I can't make the video. I would still do it. And I'm going to hit 100,000 subscribers in September, too. Boom, baby. I'm thinking about making shirts. Get Brad to 100K. Do it. And then I'll make get Brad to 200K. You ready for this? I love, this is a good I question. love these questions. Okay, go. Where do you see yourself in five years? I'm not a school teacher anymore. Okay, so you're retired? Or are you working some... Okay. I retired from teaching. I resigned from teaching. Nobody's going to tell me in five years when I can use the bathroom and when, like, what time I have to wake up, except for my wife. That's really all I know. As far as, like, the YouTube channel, I, I probably still make videos. I'd like to think I do, but then at 45 years, I mean, guess, I guess Stock Mo, he makes videos. He's, he's got to be older than me. I think in five years, I'm just going to be like really pushing to get my wife done teaching. Maybe have, I, I want to have real estate, but that's like it goes into money. I think I'll be okay with money. I'm okay with money right now. I uh, definitely want to be. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Do you think you'll live in New York? I'll live in New York until my wife is done teaching. Okay. It is very, very, very safe to say that when Tara and I cannot take advantage of the high teaching salaries here, We'll move. When do you think that'll be? And do you think that'd be hard on your kids? I think, I mean, we can both retire right now. I think Tara, she's 30, 31. I think she'll want to probably teach because she loves it. And if anything, maybe she'll career change up to admin. I think she'd be a great administrator, which we can move for because admins get to pick their pay a little bit better. I think the kids will have a lot to do with that, but I think that as long as I make a move before my kids are in like fifth grade, I I feel like I won't impact them too much, especially if I move and giving them a better life is a part of that move. I mean, I think you could be the new kid in, in middle school and still like not hate your parents. Like it's going to be awkward, but I'd also like to think that it's very, very reasonable to think that Tara and I homeschool our kids. If school isn't for them, if my kids are academics, then so be it, you know, but my kids aren't academics and they're adventurous or they're musicians or they're artists. I don't think I'll have anything against like putting Avery into like a music school or an art school or something like that, or just 
I don't know. The only thing I really know in five years is that I hope to be done teaching and I really want to be healthier than I am right now. I want to treat my own like mental health and physical health better than I'm doing now because as I become 40, I'm starting to realize that I can't recover from the like how much I beat up my body. I don't recover as well. Like I used to be able to like not run for a year and then just hop right back into it. Mm-hmm. Now it slows down. It's it it really is. It's cliche and it's ridiculous to say, but like at 25 years old, I was able to just wake up and do an Ironman triathlon. Like I can't even wake up tomorrow and walk 26 miles. I don't think. You know, so that's really all. What what do you got for five years? I mean, did I really miss anything? I mean, I, I really I just want I just want to be like happy. I want to be happy, healthy. And be living on my own terms. Now, granted, teaching could still be there. I don't know. If Tara said to me, Brad, I really want to teach till I'm 36, I might put in a couple more years for her. It's a lot of money, man. I make a lot of money. <laughs> and I, I make a lot of money. I can't like... It's all about like the options that are presented to me. Because if you said, Brad, let's buy a house or let's buy a duplex or let's buy a fourplex in Steamboat, Colorado, and we'll live in two of the units for a little bit, and one day we'll rent the other two units to our kids. I'd probably take you up on it, you know? Or like, hey, they're building a cul-de-sac. They're building a cul-de-sac in northern Colorado. Let's pick up two, three, three-bedroom houses on this cul-de-sac. Let's be freaking neighbors, and, you know, let's just do it, and we'll freaking have an average money cul-de-sac. Like, I would probably do that, you know? I don't know. That'd be sick. I can't, like, I always talk about how I wish you could move here, but I don't want that because I don't want to get stuck here. And I can't move to you because with all due respect, like, you, it's beautiful, but, like, I need more, a little more action in my life. Yeah. I need a little more action, Jackson. I need a little bit more restaurants to go to. But I don't know. Like, average money cul-de-sac. I think it's all going to depend on, what, like, what my network does. Yeah, I agree. So for me... My biggest thing is in five years, I'll be 35. I would want to be financially free through real estate, dividends, investments. That's it. I don't want to rely on anything else to live off of, but real estate and dividends and for my investments. Now, does that mean I'm going to not have money coming in from other places? No, probably not. I'm going to always have a side project. Whether that be a flip, I'm still going to be you doing YouTube five years from now, which I highly doubt, or the podcast is still going strong five years from now, which I do hope. This is kind of like my, this is like my pride and joy right now. This is my number one focus is the podcast. Yeah. I really want this to take off. Yeah. Just because I love this form of content. It's so much more my speed. It's the most incredible thing ever. It's literally the best, man. Ready for this one? Yep. What's a good time to take profits? It's the hardest part, right? Selling is the hardest part. When you need it. It's easy to buy it. It's harder to determine when to sell it. Can I answer it? Yeah. So if it's in a short term or a more speculative stock or, well, maybe not speculative, but Short-term, options play, whatever it is. My kind of go-to is 100%. 
if I hit a hundred percent, I'm, I'm taking profits. Either I'm just getting yeah. out of the position alone or I'll sell half of it. And then I'm, you know, playing with house money or whatever it is. When it comes to my longer term stocks, I don't need to sell for profits. I'm holding them forever. Now, if I have one company that just is on a freaking will not stop, let's say it makes up 25% of my portfolio because it's just gone up that much. And it's more, and let's say it was one of my speculative plays that just turned into an, uh, an amazing stock call for me, <laughs> Palantir. Then that may be a time where I may like think about selling off some just to lower that equity position and deploying some of that profit into other positions to raise that equity position back up. Yeah. See, my, my leaps is like a thousand percent, maybe. No, because I have Vuzi, I'm over a thousand percent, I think. Am I a thousand percent or a hundred percent? I can't remember. It's a big no. difference. <laughs> oh, hold on, I think I'm a thousand. It's a big difference. It's like, what, what, did, they, what did he just say? I want to say it's a thousand. I don't know. Selling is like so. I'm not really, I don't really care that much. Most of my stocks, I'm not planning to sell. Again, like I said, the only time I'll really sell my stocks is if the equity position just gets way out of whack because it's gone so up, uh, gone up so much. One of the funniest things I've heard Jeremy from uh, Financial Education say recently was like, people ask me like, "What's my exit? Like, when am I getting out? What is this? What's that?" And like, he said that when you go on dates, you don't like sit down. Hey, how are you? And uh, by the way, how long do you think we're gonna date for? So true. Like what, what's this gonna, how long are we going to be doing this for? And I kind of feel that way when I buy stocks, I don't really, I don't have an exit plan until, until she starts being all weird and texting in the evenings. Like until something bad comes up, I don't have an exit strategy. My exit strategy, like, I guess the real answer is like, when would I sell when I need the effing money yeah. or if expiration is approaching? <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. So, so I mean, basically what we're saying is we're both long-term investors. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. We're not worried about taking profits and selling unless it's a short-term, more speculative type type position. Derek said, at what point are you going to cash out of your leaps? To be honest, not even considering it until I'm 60 days out. And I hope to get rid of it by 40. But I'm not even... We went through this when Vuzi was at $30 and everyone's like, yo, Brad, sell some of those, sell to close some of those $5 calls. I didn't. I'm back down. But what I'm saying is like, it wasn't even a thought for me because if you're, if you're buying something for two years or a year and they have a great week now, why did that change? Or in a month, why did that change your mind of what they're going to do in the next year? Like if you thought they were just going to do good in the next month, then don't write a leaps, you know, just make a call for a month from now. So my leaps option is it's more the Greeks than a cash out. Like if I get to 60 days, I'm up, I'm going to sell to close. If I am 60 days out and I'm down, I'm going to buy to close. I mean, sell to close. So, so I don't know. Yeah. That's where my leaps are at. Brian has an amazing question. Why would you buy a stock that you don't want to sell? I mean, there could be a number of different reasons why you'd buy a stock you didn't want to sell. I think first and foremost, we see these dividend investors, right? They buy a stock solely for the purpose of generating passive income through dividends. Can I say one word? Yeah. Apple, Google, Microsoft. Those are three words, four. I know. Well, I can list a lot. Yeah, but, but no, what he's saying is it's the same as buying a house. Like if you have... 
if you have a if you have a hundred million dollars in Apple stock, that does nothing. That means nothing, unless you sell. Depends if you want the money. Like the money's only. But you're also you- earning dividends from that stock as well too. But you're also going to be thinking about as Apple grows throughout the years. That's that much more money you could have made. Okay. Well, right. So I gave the reason of dividends. What's your reason for buying a growth stock if you never plan on selling or if you don't want to sell? I guess when I say I don't want to sell, it means I would start selling off positions when I'm retired. Like when I'm 60 or when I'm 55 and I'm starting to use the 4% rule in my portfolio, that's when I'm selling off those positions. Yeah, and I would say same as I just said before, like when will I sell when I need the money? But but I'm not looking to buy a stock and like trade it two years down the road or three years down the road because it shot up 50% or whatever. Like I, when I buy a stock that I think is a stock or a company that I think is going to be around, which is 95% of the companies in my portfolio that I think will be around 20 years from now, I'm buying to hold it because one for dividends for income, but if they don't pay a dividend, I'm buying it because I think that business will continuously grow year over year over year. There may be some hiccups. There's definitely going to be some hiccups. But if you look at historical averages, if you're in and out of positions, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, and then you got Joe Schmo over here who buys Google, Apple, Microsoft back in the 80s. And holds them for, well, I don't know if Google is available in the 80s, but you know what I mean. Buys those stocks back in the 80s and holds it till now. What do you think his portfolio looks it, It's like this. Straight up. I guess the point is like when we say we don't want to sell, that doesn't mean we're never going to. Yeah. I think I'm more when I say I don't ever sell, it means I'm selling in retirement. I also don't think that every company, we've heard people talk or say like, what were the 30 most popular companies in 1985 or 1990? None of those companies really exist anymore with the exception of a rare few. So hmm? I also, I, yeah. Like what's, or what's, you know, um, what's the greatest returning stock of all time? Do you know that one? I know because 1500 just told me about it. The best returning public stock of all time. Berkshire? No. Apple? Nope. Tesla? Nope. What? I want to say Philip Morris. I would have never guessed that. Right. So it's like, I could be wrong. Somebody fact checked that. Grace, or like greatest returning stock of all time, I think, is Philip Morris. And... Based on... No, based on a... Just because of how long it's been around, because... Going back, going no, going back to to two thousand eight, they're only up a hundred percent. No, if you would have got in their IPO, okay, back in eighteen. Well, yeah, because they've been around since eighteen forty seven. It's still the greatest performing stock of all time. But that's yeah. But what I'm taking, what I'm, we're taking factor out of here is the time difference. Look at what Philip Morris has done in the past. 20 years versus what other stocks have done in the past 20 years. You know, if you take app, like what, what's Philip Morris and Apple going to look like 20 years from now? Like, it's kind of hard to say like, you know, because like those, those companies, yeah. Philip Morris has been around for since 1847. So yeah, they're going to have a higher return because of the time difference. I guess the main point I'm making here is with my stocks that I buy, 
I would say I'll say ninety percent of them because I have some conviction plays, some like speculative plays in there, but like ninety percent of my stocks that I'm buying, I really don't plan on selling until thirty, forty years down the road. Now, if something crazy happens, like PayPal comes out, like oh, PayPal's going bankrupt, I may probably just ditch my position. Or like, well, for example, with AT and T, this is this is a little different scenario though. Like AT and T, I had is strictly a dividend play. Had a high dividend, was a pretty trustworthy, reliable company. The dividend ratio, the pay ratio was a little high. And then they kind of did this weird move to get around to saying they need to cut the dividend, getting rid of Time Warner. I thought it was a little sketchy. And I lost my trust in the management. Dividend was being cut. I was like, there's no reason for me to own this company anymore. Yeah. I don't care to own the the media company that comes with it. I don't I didn't buy it for that. So I got rid of my position. Here's a good one. Okay. What is your net worth goal in dollars value to consider you and your family financially free? I want, I have a goal. I want to see $2 million invested in the next five years. I don't give a shit about how much I have invested. I want four, you don't? I want four, I want, I want $4,000 every single month coming in if I'm living here. No, we talked. Yeah, we talked about that. You're more of a. You have no interest in in awards and and empires and net worth numbers. You strictly care about. Can I live financially free? Yep, I want to have the money coming in every month. You don't have any vanity numbers that really mean nothing, but still are important to you. A million. Invested. No, a million net worth. You know, like my. Like my hundred K on YouTube. Yeah. A million net like worth. A vanity number that means nothing, but it would be super cool. Yeah. That's mine. A million net worth. That's what my, t- my two million is. So I can say I'm a multi-millionaire. <laughs> That's why I picked two. It's solid. I'm a, I just want to be multi. I think when you're debt free long enough and you start to see money work and you start to trust the process, you don't, you stop thinking about like end goal money amounts. Yep. I think it's just as easy as just being like, man, I, I did what I have to do, and now it's just a matter of waiting. It's a waiting game now. You know? Yep. I know your answer to this, but this is another question. Okay. PBR or Miller Lite? PBR. Yeah. That's mine too. <laughs> What's your favorite credit card and why? Chase Sapphire preferred. So um, the-, the bonus is awesome. They waived the fee for the second year. The ultimate rewards portal is sick. Gives you so many different options. I really like the word Sapphire. I really like the blue card. I really like Chase. Yeah. I I'm gonna be, I am gonna switch I am gonna switch soon though. I, I'm right I'm rocking the Capital One Venture card right now. Mm. But I think I might go up to the the five hundred and fifty dollar fee, Chase Sapphire. The reserved. Um, I was looking at the perks, and they give you a one hundred and twenty dollars Peloton credit. So I'll get that because mm. I have a Peloton. Um, they have three hundred dollars of travel credit, which includes gas. Mm. So that's four hundred and twenty dollars right there. See, that just seems like so much of a bother to mess with. And they have sixty thousand points which historically I can convert to about $900 worth of rewards. Yeah. 
so the five hundred fifty dollars, I'm I'm going to make five hundred dollars on them easily in the first year. So I think that's going to be I'm going to I'm going to go to the preferred. I mean the reserved. I've Chase Sapphire preferred. I am going to make the jump up to the reserve very soon. So I used to be a Chase Sapphire guy. Recently made the switch to Fidelity, and I love it because it's money that just goes straight into my brokerage account. Two great questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna read Dade's first. What's each of yours end goal when you're 60, and it's just you and your wife? Travel, boat, RV. Not to be that guy. I just want to be alive at 60. That's my only goal. Fair enough. Actually, my only goal is to be 18,399. Yeah. That's it. I mean, with 60, my kids are still kind of young. They're kind of like, I mean, I want to be a grandpa. I'm not going to be pop pop. I hate that shit. Yeah. I'm 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 a Paul. My dad's Paul. Yeah. I'll be Paul. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> or Brad. Whatever. Uh sixty I want to, sixty I just want to be alive. Sixty be alive. By then I'll be retired for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So I've already traveled. I don't need a boat. I've seen like having a boat's like having a pool. It's just a money suck. I don't think I'll ever have a boat. RV I might. I might be a traveler, but so <laughs> I've said it before and I say it again. When I disappear I'll be in the high mountains of Colorado. That's, I mean, my my ideal 60, 50, 45-year-old is like a 55-degree morning, 50, 55-degree morning, sweatpants, thick pair of socks, hoodie, hot cup of coffee coming out onto a porch and just looking out on views. That's That's how I'll know I made it. So Lindsay and I talk about this all the time. And we say if Mason and Millie are at two separate ends of the United States, let's say one of them goes to L.A., the other one's in New York. We said when we're at that age, whenever that age is, let's say they're 20, so that'll be about 15 years from now. So I'll be 45. (laughs) When I'm 45, Lindsay and I said we're going to have an RV and we'll just go back and forth. We'd go from L.A. to New York, New York to L.A., L.A. to New York, New York to L.A. <clears throat> That's my goal. Family is number one to me, and wherever my kids are, I'm going to be that annoying dad, and Lindsay will be that annoying mom. We'll give them their space because I know how it is. Like, but like I, So my parents live four hours away from me, and I wish they were closer. I would give anything for my mom and dad to be able to come to a barbecue on a Tuesday night and then go back home and go and get up for work. So money or money, not money. Family is the most important thing to me and being able to like be close. And if both my kids are far away, then being able to transfer from one to the other, especially once kids get into the picture and I'm a grandparent, I'm a Paul, then, then that's, that's what's most important to me. And I think our, our, transportation of choice would most likely be an RV just to be able to kind of get out and see the world and see the United States and maybe go up to Canada, maybe go down to Mexico, just kind of do whatever. That's my biggest goal. It's just, and if, if and both my kids stay close to home and they both want to raise their kids in small town living like they're raised, then that's more power to them. 
And then we'll just all travel as a family. And hopefully I can just buy, like, what would be amazing. And then something, something else Lindsay and I have also talked about is we would love to be able to take our kids and their families on like a annual trip that's paid for by us. And we go somewhere different every single year. So one year we take Millie and Mason and their families to Hawaii. And then we all just stay in a big Airbnb. And then the next year we're going to Colorado. The next year we're going to Greece. The next year we're going to Australia. The next year we're going to Mexico. The next year we're going to Canada. Just every single year is somewhere different. And I hope I can obtain enough wealth to be able to do that. I don't know if I will, but hopefully I can. Um, I was reading a Twitter uh, thread the other day about a guy who was golfing with this 50-year-old dude. And he said he started investing in real estate when he was in like his mid-20s. And he said from his mid-20s till he's about 50, he just he just kept hammering down on real estate. And once he hit 50, he was making around 50K a month from his real estate properties. And that's what funds his lifestyle. The dude makes 50K a month. He does whatever the fuck he wants. That's goals right there, man. Like the homes I'm buying right now, these little bitty rinky-dink homes, I'm hoping 20 years from now, after I've replaced the sewer lines twice, you know, and all this bullshit, I hope that I'm looking at these homes being like, that's my future right there. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Like I said, like, well, like JJ said, if you're still listening, you're a real one. And hopefully you're in on the live stream. This is a true podcast. I mean, I feel like this is what podcast started from is just conversation. We can't get out of here until the, until Brian Hunt. Well, no, we're not leaving. We just need to sign off the podcast. Let's do that. Let's just finish that off and then we'll stay on here. Please do that for me right now. Please. Sick <laughs> donation. Guys, thanks so much for listening. With that said, JJ, turn on that air conditioner. Have a great night, everybody.